and welcome to the Bear Facts on Health. I'm your host, WGN medical reporter, Dina Bear. This is the podcast that aims to help you take care of your body physically and mentally. I'll give you the facts and up-to-date research on cutting-edge medical treatments, technological advancements helping people heal, tips for diagnosing disease with ease, and advice on exercise and healthy eating. With so much noise and misinformation in the digital space, we aim to help you make informed decisions about your health. And today we are looking deep inside the heart. As we approach Valentine's Day, we all think of matters of the heart that deal with love. But what about the function of the heart? So many people take it for granted. As medical reporter, I've done stories on people who were healthy enough to be running a race, and they collapse on the course, only to find they had a life-threatening heart condition. A young man in my neighborhood went for a run, felt chest pain, and kept running. He eventually ran into the emergency room. Thankfully, they saved his life. But make no mistake, heart disease and heart attacks kill. It is the leading cause of death in this country. One person dies every 37 seconds from heart disease, and someone has a heart attack every 40 seconds. If you're not concerned for yourself or a family member, you should be. Knowledge is power, and life changes can save lives. Joining me now to give some advice and perspective is Dr. Philip Krause. He's a cardiologist with North Shore University Health System. Thank you, doctor, for being here. Pleasure to be here, Dina. Thank you. So do you feel like enough people pay attention to heart health? Uh, people should pay attention. They're not paying enough attention currently, and I think education is the key. And things such as podcasts like this, as well as uh, Midday News and heart health episodes that you're presenting at WGN are an excellent way to educate the public. I know you have examples, we've talked about this, of people who have saved loved ones by just opening their eyes to the symptoms because they knew what to look for. That's exactly right. The symptoms that we discussed before, typically for men and uh, some women, are central chest discomfort, heaviness, shortness of breath. These are signs, early signs of heart attack. In women, they can be different, as we discussed before, which can be shortness of breath, uh, pain in the belly, uh, something like indigestion. Some people confuse indigestion for what is really a cardiac or heart-related problem. So let's look back even further and talk about what might be the symptoms that you're developing heart disease, not just that you are at imminent risk and having a heart attack. It's an excellent question. Sometimes people present that don't have any symptoms. So someone with diabetes or someone with minimal coronary disease may not present with symptoms, but may later present with a change in exercise tolerance. So if you have a problem with previous exercise, not being able to play tennis as long, not being able to bike ride as far, those are early signs that people should pay attention to. So explain exactly what heart disease does in the body, how it damages the heart. I think a lot of people don't really understand, and I'm hoping maybe by understanding, they'll see exactly how some lifestyle changes may, in fact, make a difference. That's exactly right. Heart disease is typically refers to buildup of plaque or blockages in the arteries of the heart. The arteries are tubes that carry oxygen-rich blood to the heart. When the heart is starved for oxygen, when there are blockages or narrowing, it's like the traffic has built up. So if you have a 10-lane highway, a 90% blockage really reflects nine of the lanes that are closed. Very difficult for the blood to get through a very tight narrowing. And that continues to damage the heart over time. It can, absolutely true. The plaque is built up by a buildup of cholesterol plaque 
inside the artery. And the deal, the idea is to prevent that plaque with prevention. And there's a word people know about, cholesterol. So how soon should they get c- tested for their cholesterol? And what are some ways they can reduce? Well, we, we test our patients in their 30s, especially if they have a family history. For someone without a family history, it's really up to the primary care physician to decide when the best uh, start would be to test their baseline cholesterol. So you talk about a family history. That's obviously one risk factor. If someone in your family had heart disease or an early heart attack, you know you might be at risk. What are other risk factors? Other risk factors besides family history are the modifiable risk factors. So tobacco use, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes. What about stress? I feel like sometimes when we're stressed out, you can almost feel your heart tense up and and you have a pain, but you think to yourself, my goodness, I I can't be having a heart attack. It's just stress. Sure, absolutely. Stress uh, occurs to everyone on a variety of occasions, and stress over time can build up plaque in the arteries by affecting blood pressure. Stress can also affect cholesterol. There's one form of stress that can cause problems urgently in older females, known as a stress-induced cardiomyopathy or the broken heart syndrome. This is something we discussed before on uh, WGN Radio, where the stress of an event can cause the heart to suddenly uh, not function properly. But that is a reversible problem. I was just reading a study about this yesterday that said that people who have a great loss, whether it be a spouse or a child, are at great risk for six full months. And that now they're talking about maybe preventatively treating them to keep their heart healthy. That's correct. Patients who do have this stress-induced or broken heart syndrome should seek medical attention immediately. It looks initially when we see them like they're having a heart attack. The EKG changes, the chest discomfort, shortness of breath, or problem like indigestion. We do an EKG, it looks like a, a heart attack, but we can take them to the cath lab, their arteries are open. So this is a problem that's usually due to too much adrenaline, the fight or flight response. And once we treat them in the hospital with the appropriate medications, typically they recover within two weeks. It's amazing how connected our mind and body are. Indeed. So let's talk about the things we can change. Obviously, if we have a family history, we can't change that. But we can change the course of how our heart functions as we get older in life. That's exactly right. The key is to prevent heart damage because once a heart attack happens, when the artery is blocked, it can lead to permanent damage of the heart. So getting to the facility quickly, once we uh, know about our risk factors, the key is to preserve muscle. Time is muscle. So the sooner you get to the facility, ER, or to your doctor's office, the more heart muscle you can save. If there is heart attack symptom that doesn't go away, chest pressure, tightness, shortness of breath, you need to get right to the emergency room because that's where it makes the most difference. So we can get that artery open. As far as the risk factors, quitting smoking is the key. It's not the easiest risk factor to modify, but it's the most important one. What kind of a difference do you see when people quit smoking and how soon might they see it? I know a lot of people who say, I've been smoking for so many years and I'm fine. It's an excellent question. The good thing to know is once a person quits smoking, their risk for heart attack, stroke, and other complications from smoking, such as cancer, drops to 50% after the first year. Wow. So you can make a huge difference. And they should also remember that every time they light up a cigarette, It affects the arteries with each puff 
Now, so many people have opted to start vaping as a way to stop smoking, and they feel like they have done something really good for their body. What would you say about that? It's not the way to quit, number one. Number two, there are inherent problems with vaping because each vaping cartridge has 20 milligrams of nicotine, which is equivalent to a single whole pack of 20 cigarettes. People don't realize that. What? They are packed with. That's right. It's a great example. That's why they call them a pack. Exactly. Pack of cigarettes and one cartridge of vaping can do deleterious damage, obviously. And obviously, we'll learn more and more about that as we do more studies on vaping because it is relatively new for people. That's exactly right. I think the studies will come out in the future showing the deleterious effects to our youth as well as adults. But if I come to you as your patient and I'm vaping and I say, doctor, I feel fine. What would be your advice to me? I would I'm not say, smoking anymore. That's right. They have to find a different vice, obviously. And I think healthy vices are, uh, are useful. What I do is help the patients quit by tapering. We discussed this um, on the air before, tapering by a cigarette or two per week to get them uh, down within a month or two. It's much more successful. And the key is to find a way to quit that is successful long-term. The other uh, choices are to increase exercise. So once a patient knows that they are safe for exercise, that they don't have a significant blockage, that's going to be the key to preventing preventing future problems. And you mentioned vices. Let's get to alcohol because there are so many conflicting studies. Drink a glass of wine because that will help your heart. Don't drink too much wine. That may hurt your heart. What is the current belief by cardiologists? I think the overall message is everything in moderation. So for people who are not drinking alcohol, we tell them not to start. If people are drinking alcohol, typically one to two drinks for men and one drink per female woman, depending on body weight, is likely tolerated, but everything in moderation. And again, That's the key message. Right. And again, you have to talk about the differences between men and women. Our symptoms are different with heart attacks. And if you're sitting there with your partner or your spouse and, you know, they pour a second glass of wine, you may not be able to have one. So we need to, to think about how our bodies respond to things. And so in that vein, let's talk about healthy eating and how important that is, but also why it makes a difference for heart health. It makes a difference both for prevention and preventing the first heart attack as well as what we call secondary prevention, which is preventing the next heart attack in patients who've already had heart disease and a heart problem. So we recommend at North Shore Cardiovascular Institute and throughout the world for, uh, based on the American Heart Association and the ACC, that people adhere to a Mediterranean diet, which is high in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, poultry, and fish to make sure that you limit your saturated fats increase and use your polyunsaturated fats, such as olive oil, which is much safer. And that's the thing. You can eat a lot. You don't have to be hungry. We call it a Mediterranean diet, but it's not a diet per se where you are not eating and and you're restricting yourself. You can give yourself loads of all this good stuff. That's exactly right. As long as we're on a reasonable calorie restriction, we try and uh, watch our our total portion size. Depends on if we're overweight or not. You can certainly stay satisfied. And what I recommend is that patients stop eating when they're no longer hungry. Don't eat till you're full. 
You mentioned about going to the ER and how time makes such a difference. And I think so many people say, oh, it's just indigestion. I'll wait till tomorrow and see how I feel. And it's such a critical message. You have anecdotally stories about patients who you have told me saved loved ones' lives. It's indeed true. It's important for people to know the warning signs that we discussed and to get to the emergency medical facility as soon as possible because time is muscle. The longer an artery is blocked, the more damage that can be permanent may ensue. So getting that artery open typically is going to save muscle and save lives. Without revealing too much about personal information of your patients, do you have any stories that might be a good example for people that says, oh boy, oh my goodness, I could be that person? Well, we had a, a case a year or two ago of a beer vendor at Wrigley Field who actually drove himself to the police station because he was feeling ill, passed out at the police station. They resuscitated him there, brought him to our hospital in Skokie. I met them there at the emergency room and he was having a heart attack, had a blocked artery on the front the so-called Widowmaker, which is uh, at the very top of the artery on the front. I took him to the cath lab, did an angioplasty, put in a stent, and opened his artery. We then uh, sent him for further care because he had temporary heart failure. So we had him see our heart failure specialist to get him through that initial period. You mentioned stents, and people might not know what those are. I think one of the things that prevents people from going to the doctor is, I sort of don't want to know, and I don't want to have any major procedures. But this is something that is easy to perform and can make a big difference in people's lives. So talk about what a stent is and how the procedure is done. A stent is a metal scaffold that's placed into the artery through a catheter or a tube that goes in through the artery in the wrist or in the leg. The artery is then open, like clearing the snow from the street, allowing the cars to pass through. This allows the blood to pass through. We then follow that up typically with a stent, which is a stainless steel metal scaffold that keeps the artery open and prevents reblockage or yeah. re-narrowing. I always say it looks like a pen coil for it people does. who don't know. <laughs> That's exactly right. So how about testing? Is there anything that we should be doing to find out Boy, what damage have I done to my heart already? Besides reviewing the risk factors that we discussed, one of the tests that's very useful is a stress test that may be indicated, which uh, typically involves exercise on a treadmill, imaging with an echocardiogram or nuclear testing, and then seeing what the blood flow looks like. Another test that we use for assessment is a coronary CT scan. It's a CAT scan that uses x-rays to look and see if there's calcium buildup in the arteries of the heart. And that may indicate that a patient may need aspirin and or cholesterol-lowering medicines such as statin. Would that be done for someone who has symptoms already? Coronary CT scan is typically not used for symptomatic patients. It's usually used for patients where they're not having symptoms and want to know if they should start cholesterol medicine. Someone who's having symptoms, depending on how severe they are, may be a candidate for a stress test And if the symptoms are classic, we go right to the cath lab. What about something simple like blood pressure? Should I be taking my blood pressure daily, weekly? Blood pressure should be measured in the doctor's office, and those patients who are deemed hypertensive, those patients should be treated. And any blood pressure over 130, over 80, those patients should start to be treated. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have medicine. Medicine could be diet, low-sodium 
low salt diet is the way to start. Although I know when I get my blood pressure tested at the doctor's office, I inevitably get nervous and I feel like my blood pressure is higher. I think, oh no, it's supposed to, it's got to be good. (laughs) So is there something that happens when you're in the doctor's office that actually raises your blood pressure? That's called white coat hypertension. Right. Even though I get a a gray coat, I have a gray coat. Uh, We have some patients that have hypertension in the office. So we ask patients to get their own blood pressure cuff that works on the arm, not the wrist. And they check their own blood pressure at home so that we can get serial tracking of blood pressure throughout several weeks. And mostly you're looking at changes anyway. So if you're always a little nervous at the doctor's office, it's going to be consistent, right? And if it starts to raise, then you know you're in trouble. That's exactly right. Our first step is low-sodium diet, low-salt diet, making sure that we avoid salty foods. Patients of mine usually say, well, I never put salt on my food, doc. But it's really the food in, its, in itself it has lots of salt. Foods at restaurants, frozen food, canned foods, and uh, cold cuts. Right. Prepared foods are so filled with sodium. So what is your overall message as we try to help people be heart healthy? I think the message is to work on prevention and make sure that patients start off knowing all the risk factors, seeing their physician, their, their internist, or a primary care provider, to make sure that their risk factors are optimal as possible. Make sure that if they have hypertension, that they're treated appropriately and make sure they know how to exercise appropriately. Remember that exercise prescription typically is 30 minutes a day, minimum of five days a week. They don't have to train for a marathon to get the benefit. You mentioned medication and are there any side effects of the medication that they would put you on to lower your blood pressure or lower your cholesterol? Because I know people are concerned about that as well. Right. The possible side effects of cholesterol medicine most commonly is muscle pain in the proximal muscles or the muscles of the thighs or the shoulders. That risk is less than 5% of patients. Side effects of blood pressure medicine can be include dizziness or uh, dry mouth, etc. Some people get... Uh, trouble with uh, weight gain in some of the antihypertensives, but the benefit far outweighs the risk. And is that something that you can work with your physician to try to change the dose and, and make sure you're on the right medication for you? We may have to change the medicine in and of itself. One of the other side effects that I uh, run into is leg swelling with some of the so-called calcium channel blockers. It may require a change in the dose or a different medicine entirely. We've given you a lot of information today, but it is all so critical, and it's simple. Keep your heart healthy. Dr. Philip Krauss, cardiologist with North Shore University Health System, thank you for helping us keeping our hearts beating strongly. I hope this week's podcast was helpful to you. Remember, you can subscribe to the Bare Facts on Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dina Bear. Until next week, take care of yourself and be well.